Amen. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1 as we now conclude our Advent series. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at passages from Luke and John's Gospel uh, related not just to the coming of Christ, but to the birth of John the Baptist, who was one who the Scripture tells us was a forerunner of Christ. He was one that God sent to proclaim to the people that the Messiah was indeed coming. And so uh, we've been looking at the proclamation of John the Baptist's birth there in Luke chapter 1, as well as his ministry uh, of that prophetic ministry that he had there uh, in the Gospels as well. And so today we come to uh, John 1. We're going to look at verses 29 through 37. Uh, We come to a point now in John's ministry where uh, he is telling others that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, pointing them towards Christ. In fact, he he tells his followers to now become followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look uh, again at verses 29 through 37 and add a reverence for God's word. If you're able to, if you would stand as I read this inspired text to us. This is the Holy Word of God, giving through the inspiration of the Spirit to the Apostle John, and and this is what he writes in regards to John the Baptist. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit." And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. If you would pray with me, church. Father, we are gather here together for different reasons today. There are some who are here as part of their walk with you, as part of their gathering each Lord's Day to to, to worship you, to gather with your people. Perhaps there's others here, Father, who, but because of this time of the year, this Christmas Eve, they've come with, with family. Perhaps this isn't something they regularly do. But God, we trust that in In your sovereign hand, you have appointed this moment for us to be in this place together to hear from your word. So, Lord, I pray you would speak your word to our hearts today and that you would call us all to repentance and faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the traditions this time of year among a number of newspapers across our country is to publish letters to Santa that children have written. And not too long ago, I came across some of these letters, but the, the newspapers weren't recent ones. These were from newspapers in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Now, there are certainly things that have changed over the course of a century. Some things haven't. Perhaps you will notice 
both of those as I read through just a few of these letters. This one from a young boy named Donald, written in 1901. He wrote this. Dear Santa, sometimes I'm naughty, but if you'll excuse me, I'll try to be much better. Please send me a box of turtles. Signed, Donald. I don't know if anybody's looking for turtles this year, but hopefully it worked out for Donald. Uh, this from another young child, uh, Edward, there in Missouri in 1898. He wrote this. Dear Santa, I have twin sisters and twin brothers. Don't send us any more babies. Instead, he said, please send me a gun to kill wolves. Your friend, Edward. Uh, then there was Kara May from South Carolina. She wrote this in 1908, uh, kind of telling on a friend of hers, I guess. Uh, Dear Santa, please bring me a doll, and don't bring Eleanor anything. She took my money and threw it in the coal scuttle. So, uh, Then another from a, a young girl in Virginia in 1901 in regards to her teacher. Dear Santa, I've got a mean teacher at school, and I'd like to have a pony to take her out riding and make that pony run away and dump her, and then that will be the last of her. <laughs> Goodbye, I am your little girl, Garnett Thompson, Virginia, 1901. And then I did come across one from Kentucky from 1891, a little boy named Claude. He simply said, Dear Santa, I would like a bank. I've got $1.60, and Papa owes me $8 that he says he'll pay as soon as he sells his dog. So if any of you guys are waiting on Papa to sell that dog to get a gift, Maybe it'll work out. Uh, as I read through these lists, now I found some things were common, some things weren't so common. The, the, the gifts that kids were asking for in the late 1800s and early 1900s, I would say today we would consider them to be much simpler. Uh, maybe even just staples in life. Uh, a lot of them were asking for just basic necessities. Some of them, it just kind of broke your heart to read the things they were asking for for others. And especially when you compare those letters of that time with letters you might read today. I read another article that gave the, the top toys for this last year, 2017. It listed off some of the most sought-after toys were a Nerf Rival Nemesis MX-7 10,000 Nerf gun, an Imaginex DC Super Friends Batman Batbox Extreme, I don't know if y'all are looking for either of those, but they cost around $100, and apparently they are hard to find. Quite a different thing than asking for a box of turtles <laughs> or asking for just basic necessities. And in fact, as I read through those lists, perhaps it makes some of you nostalgic. You think about that the days of old, some of us, especially around Christmas time, we get nostalgic. We think about a simpler time and the way things used to be. Some of us, especially as believers, are reminded of these things even in the way people refer to Christmas now in our very politically correct culture we live in. Uh, we've replaced Merry Christmas with Happy Holidays or Seedings Greetings. And as we hear people say these things, we, we, we long for yesteryear. We, we, we long to return to something we once had. In fact, many of us as Christians will respond to those things with an effort to, to put Christ back in Christmas. Or to make pe sure people know that Jesus is the reason for the season. But as we think of these things, friends, I want to make sure we understand that we live in a very lost world. We live in a very lost culture. And we live in a culture where we want to see them understand that Jesus is the reason for the season. But many of them don't know who Jesus is. 
We live in a culture where we lament and say we need to put Christ back in Christmas, but so many don't know who Christ is. There is great confusion in our world today about who Jesus is. And friends, there has always been confusion about the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we come to John's Gospel, we are reminded throughout his Gospel that people were confused in Jesus' day in regards to who he was and who he is and what he came to do. So we see the religious leaders often coming to Jesus asking those very questions. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who gives you the authority to speak in the way you speak? But it wasn't just the religious leaders. We see even John the Baptist, who we've read about this morning and we read about the last two Lord's Days. This one who is an unborn child in his mother's womb cried out in praise to Jesus in his mother's womb. He didn't fully understand who Christ was. And so we see him here in John chapter 1 saying that this indeed is the Son of God, this is the Messiah. But as John's ministry goes on, he begins to wonder, is this actually the one? In fact, we'll see John the Baptist imprisoned for his ministry, soon to lose his head for the sake of the gospel. And at that time, he will send someone to ask Jesus that very question, are you the one? Even the disciples didn't fully understand who Christ was. And so as they've left everything to follow him, Jesus would have times in his ministry when he would teach them things and they would get very confused, especially about who he was and what he was going to do. Jesus would be speaking about his crucifixion and his resurrection and they didn't understand it. They were confused. And so now we come to this place, John's Gospel, where John was one of those apostles John was one of those people who along the way didn't fully understand things. But now, as he's writing this gospel, he understands. And now he's lived through the life and the ministry, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Now he can go back and he can write these things down so that you and I today might better understand the answer to that question. Who is Jesus? Friends, on this Christmas Eve, In 2017, there is no more important question that we can ask than the question of who is Jesus Christ? And so it's that question that I want us to look at and consider in light of what we read in John chapter 1. And what we see here in the first point there in your outline is this. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. And we have talked about this point already in our study of John's gospel, but it's worth revisiting because this is such a central focus of John chapter 1. In fact, notice there in John 1 how John begins his gospel. Three words. He says, in the beginning. Now, what other book of the Bible starts with those three words, in the beginning? The book of Genesis. Only two books in the Bible that start that way. Now consider what we read in Genesis 1 as we look at John 1. In Genesis 1 we read this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good 
And God separated the light from the darkness. You see in creation this, this very strong emphasis on light and darkness. Now notice what we see here in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Do you see the parallels there in these accounts? John is saying that not only was Jesus in the beginning, he's saying Jesus is the light. He is the one that overcomes the darkness. Now just think for a moment about how you today consider light and darkness. I would guess that for most of us, when we walk into a place, even a familiar place like your home, you probably go through some type of routine of unlocking the door and you open it and you walk in and if there's no light on, what's the first thing you do? You hit the light switch. Is it because you've never been in that home before? No. It's just what you do so you can see clearly what's in front of you. You turn on the lights. Some of us turn on lights and leave lights on because we don't like the darkness. For some of us, we have phobias about these things. For others of us, it just kind of creeps us out. So, for example, you might come riding by Bloomfield Baptist Church one evening. And let's say you come down this road late at night, and you notice on a weeknight that all the lights in the church are on. Now, if you notice that, one of two things are going on. Either one, the cleaning people are here, or two, I'm here. Because when I walk in this church at night, the first thing I do is I turn all the lights on. You know why? Because this is a creepy place at night. Some of you might think, well, no, this is the church. This is a holy place. This is a sacred place. Friends, you come up here with me at 11 o'clock at night and see how you feel. It is dark and it is creepy. And so when I walk in, I turn on the lights. In fact, it only takes me about 30 seconds to walk from the parking lot to my office, and I will turn on about eight lights on the way to my office. So I don't like the dark. And a lot of us don't like the dark. And so we have this kind of embedded within us understanding there's something about the darkness we don't like. And we want light to come into the darkness. Here, John in his gospel says that's the very thing Jesus does. He brings light in the darkness because he says darkness is wicked. Darkness is sin. That's the picture we see in the scripture. Romans chapter 1 regarding those who refuse to honor or give thanks to God. In Romans 1 we read their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 describes the righteous as light and the unrighteous as darkness. First John 2, we read, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, the picture in the Scripture is that darkness is sin and that we're all born into darkness because we're all born into sin. And so while we might want to walk into a dark room and flip on the lights, when it comes to our sin, we don't want to turn the lights on. When it comes to our sin, our gravitational pull is to keep the lights off. See, what the Bible teaches is that since creation, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, 
we've been trying to cover our sin. And so Adam and Eve, when they sinned and rebelled against God, the scripture tells us they sought to cover themselves. They sought to hide from God. And that's the very thing that you and I still do. So maybe you think of a scenario where you're up late one night, kids are in bed, flipping through the TV stations, and let's just say not even intentionally, something kind of comes on that's completely inappropriate, and, and before you reach to turn the station, one of the kids walks in, and what do you say to them? Hey, sit down and watch this inappropriate thing with me now. No, you turn the station. You act like you were asleep. You do something to cover up what was just there. You're surfing on the internet. You come across something inappropriate. Somebody walks in. You quickly try to change it. That's what we do. Let's say you do something wrong. You say something wrong and someone calls you out on it. Somebody confronts you on it. Someone says, listen, when you said this, when you did this, what is your response? Is your initial response to always say, you know, you're exactly right. I really appreciate you telling me I was wrong. No. What's your response? Well, well, now you don't, well, no, well, no, you don't. We make excuses for it. We get defensive over it. Why? Because we want to cover our sin. We long for the darkness. And what we see here in John's gospel is he says that in the flesh, we cannot overcome the darkness. In the flesh, we cannot make things right. That's why the gospel says Jesus burst in with the light and he shines the light into the darkness of our lives and he calls us to repent and have faith in him. Jesus is the light. And John says not only that, he says there in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so there's no darkness in your life there's no darkness in anyone's life that the light of the gospel cannot overcome. And this is important to remember. Because I've had many times people say to me, well, pastor, you don't understand what I've done. Pastor, you don't understand what I've seen. Pastor, you don't understand what I've experienced. Pastor, I just don't know if God can forgive. John is very clear in this gospel to say, friend, there is no crevice in the known universe where there is a speck of darkness that the light of the gospel cannot break through. It says Jesus is indeed the light. And so the question for us then is, how are you responding to the light today? Are you trying to cover your sin or are you repenting of your sin? Friend, let me ask you a question. Can you recall right now the last time you repented of something? Can you recall the last conversation you had with a friend or your spouse or a family member or someone where you went to them and said, you know what, when I did this, when I said this, I was wrong and I was in sin and I'm thankful for the death of Christ because he, he died on the cross for that sin, but I need to come and make things right with you. I need to repent. I need to turn from this. Friend, if you can't recall the last time you repented before man, that might be an indication that you haven't actually repented before God yet. Because when we repent before God, He gives us a heart of repentance. 
He gives us a desire for the things of Him. He gives us a desire to flee the things of the world. He gives us a desire to shine light in the darkness. And John reminds us here, Jesus is indeed the light. Point two, he reminds us that Jesus is the Lamb. And this is where we pick up in that section we read today. We see here that that John is there probably teaching some of his disciples. Uh, the baptism of Jesus has already taken place. Perhaps John is calling others to repentance and to faith. And here we see as Jesus comes toward him, he makes this distinction. And he makes this proclamation. He says to those around him and to Jesus himself, Behold, the Lamb of God. might be helpful if we stop and consider, well, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> I'm not too sure John fully understood what that meant when he said it. There, there's lots of things that John's figuring out along the way. The Spirit of God is, is empowering him to make these proclamations. I'm not sure he fully could see it, but I think that, that the Apostle John, as he put his gospel together, probably had a better understanding and I think we can have a great understanding today when we go back through the Word and we just trace what we see about the Lamb of God. I think what we see here is that Jesus is the gentle Lamb that was led to slaughter in Jeremiah 11. That Jesus is the scapegoat from Leviticus 16 that God's people would banish to the desert, symbolic of them bearing their sins, placing their sins on that goat and then sending Him away. Jesus is the lamb from Genesis 22 that was provided as a substitute for Isaac on that altar. Jesus is the guilt offering from Leviticus and from Numbers, which was understood to be a sacrifice that dealt with sin. Jesus is the apocalyptic, triumphant lamb that we see in Revelation 7 and 17. Jesus is the Passover lamb that we saw was provided in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus is the lamb led to slaughter in Isaiah 53, whose death deals with our transgressions. When John the Baptist looks and sees Jesus and says, Behold, the lamb of God, he's saying that this is the sacrifice. This is the substitute. This is the one who will atone for our sins. This is the one who will appease the divine wrath of a holy God. And how will he do that? Verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's important that we consider how exactly God does this. Because I think many of us have a misunderstanding of how God takes away sin. And so we tend to think about God and our sin in terms of things like a clean slate. So we'll say things like, well, you know, when I became a Christian, uh, God forgave me. He gave me a clean slate. We kind of have this picture of God just kind of wiping this board clean and now it's all good. Or we kind of have this picture of, well, well God doesn't hold that sin against me anymore because God's just, he's forgotten that sin. See, we think about God the way we think about others. And the way we think about others is, well, we just want people to forgive and forget. And really, if, if it comes down to it, and we ask somebody to forgive and forget, what's the one we really want them to do? Well, we want them to forgive, but really want them to forget. 
I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people, oftentimes in a, a marriage situation where there's been a conflict or an issue, and one spouse will say to another, well, they just won't forgive and forget. They, they keep bringing this up. See, what our heart's desire is, is we don't want people to remember how messed up we are. We don't want people to remember what we did that was wrong. Yes, as a believer, we long for forgiveness, but in the flesh, we just want people to simply forget and oftentimes when we look at God's forgiveness of it, of us, we think about it in the terms of, well, God just makes this decision one day that he's going to wipe the slate clean, that he's going to forget our sin. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us. See, what the Scripture teaches is that in order to deal with sin, Christ had to die. And in order for Christ to die, Christ had to come in the flesh. And what John is saying here when he says... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. He's saying, think back to what I just said in verse 14. He came in the flesh. He came as a man. Perfect God, perfect man, so that he could then die on the cross for us. God doesn't just one day in heaven say, well, you know what? You guys have messed up pretty bad. I think I'll just wipe the slate clean. We'll just start over again. Now what God does is he sends his son as the perfect sacrifice is the only one who can atone for our sin and that perfect lamb of god goes to the cross and dies the death that we deserve so that we can live a life we don't deserve scripture says we are born ephesians 2 at war with the world the flesh and the devil so what does god do to rescue us he sends his son into the world in the flesh to defeat the devil he conquers our enemy for us and he does this because he indeed is the lamb and so the question for us then is are you trusting in christ and his sacrifice for your sin meaning this do you believe that jesus on the cross indeed paid the full penalty for your sin now, I imagine most of us would say that we do, but here's the follow-up question. If we truly believe that, then why do so many of us live as if we've got to accomplish our salvation as well? As, as if we just will work hard enough, if we will do enough, somehow we will appease a holy God. There are so many of us who deep down, we are trusting more in ourselves than we are trusting in Christ. Think about how we talk about ourselves from a young age. <laughs> I think about my kids. When they got old enough to just do anything of accomplishment, maybe they put the Legos together, maybe they, they got their shoes on for the first time or their clothes on for the first time, that they all said the same thing. Me did it. <laughs> look at me. Look at what I did. And the thing is, we don't grow out of that. As we become adults, we're very good at saying, look at me, look at what I did, look at what I've accomplished. We talk about ourselves all the time. Look at me. And somehow we think we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to talk about us. Friend, I assure you, the last thing you want to talk about when you stand before God in judgment is about anything that you've done. Maybe again this morning you're thinking, well, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure about these folks who normally come here, but I'm not that bad. You know? 
Uh, I've given this out there before. I'll, I'll give it to you again. How many of you, if you were given the opportunity to, to play on a loudspeaker your thoughts for 24 hours, how many of you would sign up for that? How many of you would be willing to let us know right now what you're thinking? <laughs> Much less 24 hours. How many of you would want people in a room to know every thought that grows through your head? You still feeling pretty righteous? Scripture says we indeed are sinners. We are born in sin. We are slaves to sin. And friends, we're not going to stand before God one day with some set of scales and Him say, well, your good outweighed your bad because, because we're lost, we're depraved. Even the good things we do are an effort just to overcome something bad and cover something bad and in and of themselves end up being bad. Now the only person we can speak of when we stand before God in judgment is the perfect Lamb of God. Are you trusting in Christ today? Are you trusting in yourself? Jesus is the light, Jesus is the Lamb, and then third we see in this passage, Jesus indeed is the life. John the Baptist here has prepared the way for Jesus. He has called people to repentance and faith. He has declared that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And now we see John talking to his disciples. And basically we see them becoming now followers of Jesus. And notice there again in the text, verse 35, as, as John's standing there teaching his disciples, Jesus comes by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then it says, the two disciples heard him. What disciples? We know later from this text, one's Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother. We don't know the identity of the other. But what we know is this. It says, when they heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They, they followed Jesus. The question is, why? Up to this point in John's gospel, Jesus hadn't brought a dead person back to life. Up to this point in John's gospel, Jesus hadn't even healed anyone. Up to this point in John's gospel, the only thing that these two disciples have seen is that the one that they are following, John the Baptist, has baptized Jesus and that John the Baptist has made this declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, but they haven't seen anything to back that up per se. Why did they follow Jesus? Well, I believe it's because they believed something that Jesus would later say and probably said often. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, in saying this, wasn't saying, listen, if you, if you want a better life, follow me. <laughs> Jesus wasn't saying, if you want if you want some steps to improve yourself, follow me. If you want some tools to have your best life, follow me. No, Jesus said, I am the life. I'm the life giver. I'm the only way to true peace, lasting peace in your heart. Friends, do you know that peace today? Do you know Christ as your Lord today? In just a moment, we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we're going to sing these lines, these words. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. 
fill the world with heaven's peace. That, that's not a controversial statement in our world today. You start talking about world peace and ending strife and quarrels and you'll have a whole choir of people around the globe say, yeah, that's what we need. But, but the scripture says there's only one way we can find that peace. And it was shared with a group of shepherds a couple thousand years ago. We read about it in Luke chapter 2. When angel said to those shepherds, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, we will all give an account one day, and so I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you on that day think you will look back at your life before God? How many of you on this day would look back on your life and say, everything I have ever done or said pleased the Lord? See, there's only one who can ever make that statement. And it's Jesus Christ. And that's why on this Christmas Eve, it's important. It's critical, it's crucial that we understand that, that the only way we can stand before a holy God in judgment one day is because of Jesus. He is the one in whom God is pleased. And for those who will repent and place their faith in him, well then in you he will be pleased as well because he doesn't see you and your sin and your wickedness. He sees his son and he covers you in his blood. That is the truth this Christmas Eve. Will you respond to it? Have you indeed confessed Christ as Lord? Have you seen the light? Are, are, are you hiding in the darkness? Are you seeking to cover your sin? Are you repenting of sin and confessing Christ today? Are you trusting in Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God or are you trusting in your works, in your own goodness, you might say? Do you understand the only way you will ever have peace in this world and peace in the world to come is through Christ Jesus? That is the call as we come into this time of response. So if you don't mind to stand together, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. Father, I do ask you in the name of Jesus that you would do a work in our hearts this Christmas Eve Sunday, this Lord's Day. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here this morning who, for, for whatever list of reasons they might seek to provide us with, they, they've yet to call on Jesus as Lord. Perhaps they've called on Jesus in times of desperation perhaps they've called on Jesus in times of suffering but perhaps there's been those moments where they saw no other way and they say well, well well Lord if you'll just fix this but they've never called on Christ as Lord and so as a result Lord that they, they stand condemned in their sin and they will suffer under your wrath for eternity father I pray that you would break through the darkness of their hearts and shine the light of the gospel. And Lord, for those here, many, many, I believe, who have made that response, who have trusted in Christ, perhaps they're struggling this Christmas Eve, this Lord's Day, with sin. Perhaps there's an area or multiple places in their life that are in darkness. Perhaps there are places where that they are fleeing the light. 
Perhaps there's something there in their life that they're trying so desperately hard to keep covered up out of fear of what would happen if people knew the truth about them. God, would you break through the darkness with the light of the gospel? Would you show them their need to repent and trust in you? Father, there may be others who they're holding on to this world, things of this world, thinking those things will bring them fulfillment and pleasure. Lord, they will find that they will not last. Would you show them that now? Would you help them to trust in Christ now? Lord, as we sing about this peace that Emmanuel brings, would you help every one of us to know this peace through Jesus? That this is a work only you can do, Father. So would you do it now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.